Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. We are still, yes, we are still in our progressive dinner series, yes. I mean, it's kind of, yes, it's a long series, we're still in it, um, but it's kind of how dinner parties go, Right? The, even the best ones, right? Like you go, you have all this hullabaloo and everyone's eating and it, you reach like the highest point of the night. And then there's a little bit of a lull. Folks sort of settle into conversations. The introverts start looking around and down <laughs> to find a comfy spot, right? To sort of just be. And they sort of smile and they close their eyes and they're grateful as they look around that all their extroverts have found each other and are leaving them alone. <laughs> and, you know, you've had dessert or you're continuing to have dessert. I'm a continuing to have dessert kind of person. Um, and the host, if you've ever been the host of any of the dinner parties or if you're the part in the progressive dinner where the dessert is sort of yours, right? You start to sort of look around and you're like, do I bring out more dessert? Do I bring out some whiskey? What do I do? Shall I bring out games? No, no, it can't be time for games yet. You get kind of antsy. How long should we let them be is usually what you're asking (laughs) at this point in the night. It isn't quite the end. And that's where we find ourselves as a community, both liturgically, because it's Holy Week, it's Palm Sunday, and organizationally. So if you need a Bible a little bit later on, we're going to be in Mark 11, verses one through 11. So if you need a Bible, we have some folks, Greg has grabbed some and you don't have your phone or you didn't bring yours with you and you want a Bible um, to read the text, Greg is walking around, he's got a few he can share with you. Um, Just raise your hand or look that way and Greg will find you. So grateful to Greg for doing that. And so, see, Palm Sunday isn't exactly Easter. So we won't be reading the scripture just yet, but hold it, open up to Mark 11, and just let it sit with you on your tables for a little bit. Because Palm Sunday isn't exactly Easter, and we haven't had the biggest of all the dinner parties ever. Church camp, church mouse, Final Jeopardy question, what's the biggest dinner party ever? The Last Supper. Nobody knows this. My gosh. Okay, remember when we talked about, like, even, right, as like an Afro-Latina preacher, like, I got black church in me, so you got to talk to me. If you don't agree with me or, like, something's mixed up, you say, take your time. If like you want me to move on and stop like trying to make the point because you get it, you just don't want to say nothing. You can just say keep. That's it, Pastor. Keep going. Right? You just right. Just you could talk. You could. We could talk to each other. It's okay. Right? Because you might you might have an actual black pastor that doesn't know how to translate these things. Come like your the pastoral search team is almost there. Like we got to get ready for these things, right? And so the most epic of dinner parties we have not had it yet. It's Palm Sunday. He hasn't gone in, turned over any tables. He hasn't gone to the garden and been disappointed because his best friends, after, fell asleep. I mean, I'm just saying, y'all just stayed up all night yelling Hosanna. It's like the biggest rave ever. 
and you expect them to stay awake in a quiet garden? <sighs> anyway, I'm, we're going to talk about Jesus' expectations in, like later on in the week. But for right now, Palm Sunday kind of begs the question, like, like if you had told us what was next, Jesus, like maybe we would have like sat down for a little bit and we'd have conserved our energy. We wouldn't have jumped up and down yelling Hosanna and we like would have stayed awake, right? But now we can say that. But at the time that Palm Sunday was happening, it was like, okay, what's next? For us as an organization, we're kind of there too. Like I've been with you for almost a year in a couple, y'all, it'll be a year in a couple weeks. Yeah, it's been fun. Most of the time it's been fun, right? When you could figure out what I was doing. It's like, is she crazy? Does she love Jesus? Um, but this idea of like what's next, we're there too organizationally. It fits with the liturgical calendar. We're in the transformation arc. Y'all thought I'd forgotten about this, right? Remember, I'm a, I'm a sociologist by nature. I love creating these things. Last time I showed you, you were like right after the why. You didn't even know you had made it halfway through the horizon portion of the arc. Well, part of that is because the nature of horizons is they keep moving. Pastoral search team, amen. <laughs> it's like, we thought we were done. We're not done. We're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As God shows you the depths of how far they want you to go, how deep they want you to go, sometimes it's like, I thought we were already there. <laughs> Not are we there yet, <laughs> but didn't we just do that? This idea of what's next, where are we going, what's this all about? This Lenten season, we've actually gotten a glimpse into that, a glimpse into what it's like to be strong and active again, to be together at tables for communion, at Arts Fest, to learn new songs together, to sing old songs together. That that we've experienced in this season, much like Palm Sunday, is a glimpse into Easter. According to Christian history, Palm Sunday is a celebration for honoring Jesus Christ's victorious entry into Jerusalem. And while this was a joyful and special occasion for the followers of Jesus, the event took place towards the end of his days on earth before being crucified, we're still not yet to the crucifixion. But we are at the beginning of some misunderstandings. So today, what's next, what this is all about, is Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Starting at verse 1, going through verse 11, it reads, When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethage, and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he, Jesus, sent two of his disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of me, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt, or a donkey, that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, where are you going? Why are you doing this? Just say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here immediately. 
they went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it and some of the bystanders said to them, why are you do, what are you doing untying this colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they followed and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. Then he, Jesus, entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Hmm. This text is the sacred text we read every year on Palm Sunday. It is the beginning of the end, the beginning of Jesus's final week. For many of us, even if we didn't grow up with evangelical roots, the pervasiveness of evangelical culture in this area of the country means that we're familiar with this beginning, if not any others. The beginning of the passion of the Christ. The beginning of what classical theologians refer to in Sheldon's In His Steps, where we get the quintessential evangelical discipleship adage, what would Jesus do? The one that we riffed on for our Advent sermon, what would Joseph do? WWJD, because we know we're not always Jesus in the story. (laughs) Period, we'll just move on from there. WWJD is based in the theological premise of imatio Dei, that we should be like God in our conduct. We pull from this week for most of our everyday precepts, our doctrinal guidelines of holiness and goodness. Imatio Dei, the imitation of God. For many, I imagine that this text in Mark is familiar However, when we take some time to slow down, just like when we drive familiar streets and then someone asks us how to get to where we've gone and we can't remember the name of the street but we can tell you about the restaurant that's there on the corner that has a blue and yellow sign though you can't remember that name either. And so as we slow down to take the details here, there are several details that kind of jump off the page. For example, I am struck by Jesus's pattern to send the disciples out in pairs. Y'all know me, I love being with people. Yes, even introverts do love being with people. And so Jesus has frequently asked challenging things of the disciples, but he never asked them to do the challenging thing alone. This text is no exception. And so in our desires and our strivings to be like God, to engage in the Imatio Dei, this text begs the question, where are you? (laughs) Are you standing beside someone? Because if you're not, I'd ask you to discern who should you be standing beside or sitting beside or running beside. 
Whatever God has called you to do, whether it's walking, sitting, standing, running, laying, crying, singing, more than likely if you're doing it alone, you haven't quite found yourself in the will of God yet. You're on your way. You know what to do. But where are you? The incarnate God placed himself on a donkey. I'm struck by the note that the colt will have never been ridden. It's a small detail, but it's important because for animals used in sacred acts, they were supposed to be clean, reiterating this idea of holiness in the moment. How misguided is our idea that holiness places us above people or things? How antithetical is our idea that holiness places us outside of the larger culture when in this text, God placed the incarnate person in the revelation of his divinity and acceptance of his power in the moment. God places Jesus on a donkey in the midst of people. Another detail that can't be overlooked is how risky and radical both Jesus's actions and the crowd's actions are. Processionals like this had historically been reserved for government officials and war heroes. Jesus was neither of these things. (laughs) And yet the crowd responds to his presence among them as if he were. So, what will you do? When you find yourself in your calling, the thing you feel like God has called you to do, and you look around and you see, hey, there's someone here with me. Hey, okay, we're in the will of Jesus. What will you do then? When the incarnate God is near you and the call of God is present in your life, what will you do? Will it make sense? Because to make matters even more significant, 150 years prior to this moment, Deep Ellum will be 150 years in just a little bit. I'm just saying. Um, to make, you know, a Jewish war hero 150 years prior to this named Simon Maccabus processed into Jerusalem after a battle that helped secure Israel's peace. This was a demonstration of peace. The people at Simon Maccabus's time responded with a conqueror's parade and threw palm branches at him and laid coats in the streets, and they too shouted out, Hosanna. Praise in the highest to our God for peace. Simon's parade and Jesus' parade look almost identical to folks that would have been there and the folks that heard about it. Which makes it easy to wonder if the people that were present were hoping for a military victory against Rome? Or did they really understand that Jesus meant to bring spiritual peace? See, Though often we focus on the Amashio Day, Holy Week and Palm Sunday also bring into focus the Imago Day, the image of God. 
We focus on how it would be and how certain in this moment on Palm Sunday, those who were with Christ would have been that he is the most powerful one there is, the one they had been waiting for. This certainty would have made the Romans nervous. A misunderstanding, a dangerous misunderstanding. See, God did not incarnate Jesus in order for there to be a political victory. Jesus was not trying to overturn Rome. As you can see on Monday, Jesus was just trying to overturn tables in the temple. Like, this was not about politics. This was about peace. It was about shalom. It was about community. It was about connection. But the very dangerous misunderstanding of identity for those following Christ in that moment had dire implications for Jesus's life. Those that loved Jesus and acknowledged his power inadvertently were the ones that created the misunderstanding in politics that got Jesus killed. Can we sit with that moment? How many of us in trying to do something good for someone we love, someone we care about, or in a situation that broke our heart have ever accidentally made it worse? Is that where you place yourself in the story? There are dire implications to us misplacing and misaligning our identities as Christians even today. And so when we hold the tension of the Imago Day, the image of God in ourselves and amongst ourselves with the tension of the Imagio Day and what would God do, the question becomes, who are you? On that day in a parade, would you have been waving palms and throwing coats? Would you have heard about the throwing of palms and the laying of coats? This text is significant because in many ways, the radical nature of the moment lays the groundwork for the crucifixion. If we do not admit that the incarnate God near to us has power to change our lives for the better, then the incarnate God is never in danger. Community is never in danger. Before we consider the complex political layers of this story, the parade might simply appear to be an indicator of the people's love and appreciation for Jesus but there are consequences to love. It's not just rainbows and butterflies, or maybe it is, because rainbows come after floods and caterpillars melt to create butterflies, like they literally melt. And so as you consider who you are in the story of Christ, in the story of God near us and community, I also think we kind of ask ourselves, how will we be? Not just who will we be. 
Because if we are the ones that yell Hosanna, would we be in the streets yelling it? Or would we be somewhere hiding, whispering it? Now, and there's a very good reason to be whispering it. You may be holding a baby. Some of the apostles and later church leaders that we read about in the gospel, that we read about in John and all of his chapters, <laughs> some of the leaders that Paul wrote to had not been born yet, or they were tiny little babies. I hope their mothers were whispering Hosanna as they slept, don't you? However we take the considerations, wherever we place ourselves in the story, by desire or by design, we can see that it was a risk. That though it was misunderstood as a military parade because of how it looked, Jesus was still making a very intentional statement no matter how misunderstood it was going to be. Jesus was very likely aware that this would be the tipping point of his arrest and his murder. Otherwise, I can't imagine why he would run off to a garden to pray right after it. I mean, it's a party, right? You stick around as long as you can. During the parade, Jesus accepts the title of Messiah and police peacefully challenges the empire of the day. Not by storming any political Roman buildings. He didn't even leave his community. He sat on a donkey amongst those willing to believe what he believed. And just by being himself with those that he loved, the stage was set. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, he peacefully protests oppression of the empire, though he never goes to the court of the king. He doesn't show brute force or act in violence as people expected in a Messiah, right? How many of you, when you hear those songs about power and war, those worship songs we sing about blood, it seems violent. And yet we sing them as acts of worship because that was how we had pictured the Messiah in the story. We had pictured a Messiah with a cannon or a horse and a sword. And here comes Jesus into Jerusalem on a donkey with all his friends. Peaceful, convicted, gentle, and intentional. I think this is a challenging reminder that we are called to align ourselves with the call of the gospel instead of the empire, but that does not mean that the gospel does not have consequences for the empire. And that from time to time, such an alignment with the gospel will not just be butterflies and rainbows, but will also call for bravery and peaceful, stubborn intentions 
like Jesus on a donkey. I also think this text can remind us that we are called to walk through challenging seasons together. Oftentimes we're like, divide and conquer, we've got a lot to do. But Jesus sent them out two by two. So may this story remind us that we cannot get through hard days alone, but we also cannot get through the victories alone either. We need one another, especially in our discernment about how to be people of faith, not just do faithful things. As a community of faith during this season, we've been asking ourselves, what's next? As a faith community during this sermon series, we've been asking ourselves, to what hope are we committed? What perception does this hope invite us to release? On this Palm Sunday, as we get ready to close out this progressive dinner series, because we've only got one more dinner party to talk about, I wonder if you've accepted your place at the table. I had to remove some chairs from the back in order for everyone to sit at the table so I could make this point in the sermon. But it's a very real question. Because when you sit at this table, the table invites us not only to communion, but witnessing and intimacy and vulnerability. The stories told at tables don't make us feel lonely. Usually what happens after someone tells a story at one of these dinner parties is, someone says, that reminds me of a time when, and the stories just keep coming. Your seat at the table invites a nearness and a withness that demands that we hear from God the most ridiculous dreams of heaven. Like a church who lost their pastors during COVID would make it. That the seats would be as full as our hearts. That reconciliation, that unity, that acceptance, that empathy are all possible that we hold the Imago Day, and that seeing God in ourselves and each other makes us ask, have you released the idea that God is far away from you? That's what Palm Sunday demands from us, that we accept the invitation to the most epic dinner party ever, communion with God. Have you accepted your place in the story? Do you know your role? Would you hold a palm? Would you hold Jesus's palm? Do you think they held hands when they said prayer at that table? The Emmatio Day asks us, do you believe that you are the ridiculous hope which God clings to in this world? So that not only do you have to accept your invitation to the dinner party and to the table, but you should do something while you're there. Maybe bring whatever it is that God put inside of you, no matter what anybody else has said about it. Do you believe that you are the ridiculous hope to which God clings to in this world? Have you dreamed of the places that God can take you? 
even if the horizon keeps moving ahead of you? Are you prepared to ride off into the sunset on a donkey with your Christ singing?